following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Today's reading comes from Psalm 93. The Lord is king. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is girded with strength. He has established the world. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. More majestic than the thunders of mighty waters. More majestic than the waves of the sea. Majestic on high is the Lord. Your decrees are very sure. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Our second reading this morning is from Daniel, uh, chapter 7, uh, verses 9 and 10, and 13 and 14. It just skips over some narrative stuff there. As I watched, thrones were set in place, and an ancient one took his throne. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and his wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and flowed out from his presence. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood attending him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. As I watched in the night visions, I saw one like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven, And he came to the Ancient One and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship, so that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. Before I get to a sermon... I do want to spend just a few minutes addressing the, uh, the violence that we are all aware of, the shooting that happened in Buffalo yesterday afternoon. Of course, any time people lose their lives to an act of violence, whatever the motivation for that act would be, it would be right for the church, for the people of God to mourn and grieve and pray for those who've been lost, for the families who are um, coping with the tragedy for the people who work in the tops there who are, you know, experiencing trauma. And we would do that no matter what the motivation of the shooter was. But we know in this case what the motivation of the shooter was, and it calls us to something deeper. Uh, Because this is a person who openly espoused white supremacy and anti-Semitism. And without going into too many additional details, um, that's very clear from the the messages that he sent in various ways in the course of this action. And uh, depending on your information source, you may not even have been aware of that. I checked the various places that report the news, and some of them said it and some of them didn't. It's important for us to say it. White supremacy is a very real and dangerous sin in our world. 
that um, all Christians, particularly those in a predominantly white community like this one, need to be ready and willing to condemn and work to combat against. Anti-Semitism is a very real and very dangerous sin that exists in our country um, that all Christian churches, in my view, should be uh, working against, should be condemning. You know, um, something that there's there's a phrase in the Bible. In fact, we're going to encounter it several times in several times in today's gospel reading. The phrase is the Jews, right? This is a phrase that would be used in an anti-Semitic manifesto, right? In the context of the New Testament, that doesn't mean all Jewish people. It's always referring to a specific group of Jews in in a particular place and time who were working against the Christian movement, the way of Jesus. I'll talk a little bit more about that shortly, I think, but we also need to realize that that phrase, the Jews, has been weaponized by Christians over the centuries in um, subtle and not so subtle ways to repress, oppress, rather, um, and harm Jewish people. And it's imperative for those of us who take the name of Christ that we speak out against these grievous systemic sins whenever we see them, that we stand for the way of peace for all people, regardless of their creed, race, national origin. This is what the way of Jesus is. You know, Ken was talking about old creeds today. It's, it's quite possible that the oldest creed of the church was Galatians 3.28 or 27, that, that there's no longer Jew or Greek, there's no longer slave or free, there's no longer male and female. We are all one in the spirit, in Christ Jesus, right? If we want to live out that creed, it does involve doing the difficult work of standing up for this kind of thing. And everybody, I mean, it's like, oh, that's really controversial, Pastor. Stand up against a mass shooting. Yes. But what we have to do is trace that back and stand up against much more subtle and insidious versions of white supremacy and anti-Semitism. Things that you could say or someone might say and then plausibly be able to say, what? I didn't say anything racist. We have to be able to recognize that before it comes. Right? Before it comes to what happened yesterday. So for those of you who are given to uh, social action, who want to make a, a difference in some way, the, the latest thing that I have seen that is possibly helpful is to support a, a Buffalo food ministry. The Buffalo Community Fridge is serving that community which has lost its only grocery store at the time being, for the time being. And so they're serving people who, are, who need food, and you can contribute to the Buffalo Community Fridge. I encourage you to look into that. Uh, this is slightly non-vetted information. I haven't done the research that I would typically do before I recommend a charity. I'll, and I'll trust that you'll be able to do that yourself and that you will, uh, if you are able, support that. Um, you know, if, if you want to do more than just the, the thoughts and prayers, right? Um, and I have nothing against thoughts and prayers. I'm, I'm really not trying to invoke that kind of Twitter meme or whatever, but um, sometimes we need to pray with our feet and our wallets. Did I just say feet? I have a prayer now uh, written by uh, Walter Brueggemann. It's 
called God's Gift in the Midst of Violence, and I hope that this will speak to your spirit as it did to mine as I pray it. The world trembles out of control. The violence builds, some by terrorism, some by state greed, dressed up as policy. Violence on every side. You, in the midst of the out-of-control violence, we confess you steadfast, loyal, reliable, but we wonder if you yourself are engaged in brutality. We confess you to be governor and ruler, but we wonder if you manage. We, in the midst of the out-of-control violence, we in great faith, we in deep vocational call, we in our several anxieties, we alongside you in the trembling, This day, we pray for freedom to move beyond fear to caring, beyond self to neighbor, beyond protection to growth, that we may be a sign of steadfastness, that anxiety may not win the day. You are the one who said, do not be anxious, and now we submit to you. Amen. So I wish I had a nice, light, easy sermon to preach after all of that, but that is not the case today. Uh, Today's sermon is entitled Church and State, and I'm going to go in reverse from what I usually do. Typically, as you know, if you've been here with us for any length of time, we'll have the, the sermon text read right before the sermon, and then I'll refer back to it as I, as I preach or teach or talk. Um, and this week we're going to go in reverse. I'm going to do all of my talking first and put the text at the end, and I hope that that will... It'll become apparent why and that that will work out for you. But I will tell you ahead of time that we're sticking with the Gospel of John, chapter 18. If you were here last week, you remember that there are two separate narrative threads that run through the chapter, uh, chapter 18 of the Gospel of John. There's one where Jesus is betrayed by Judas and denied by Peter. So this is like an interpersonal thread for Jesus. And then there's this other thread where Jesus is on trial, two trials a religious trial and a civil trial. And the way the chapter is structured, it bounces back and forth between the two, just like a movie or a TV show might have two scenes happening and you see one and then it goes to the other and then it comes back to the first one and then goes back to the other. That's what happens in this chapter. And so what I did was I just kind of um, dissected it a little bit and put the pieces about Peter and Judas together for last week and the pieces about um, the trials of Jesus together for this week. And what I said last week, I will say again to you today, both of these narrative threads, both of these stories point us to what that phrase from elsewhere in the New Testament means. That phrase that we've all heard so many times that has sometimes been, um, I would go so far as to say, almost weaponized against people uh, to condemn them. That phrase that said, Jesus bore our sins. And last week I talked about that picture of the the little little child with the big boulder on his shoulders and and then that same boulder transposed onto a picture of Jesus at the cross, right? Um, And so last week what I tried to tell you is that, yes, there are individual sins that we all have committed that we need to ask God's forgiveness for. Yes, that Jesus took into his body on the cross in some sense. But what I want you to try to understand more broadly than that is that these What it means that Jesus bore our sins is that he bore the sins that all human beings are capable of. And everybody has been betrayed by a friend. Everybody has been denied by a friend. And that's what happened to Jesus, and it's part of what put him on the cross. And so when Jesus bore our sins in his body, when we look at those stories, he's bearing the sins of betrayal and denial of a friend in his body. And so we all get to identify with that. 
And today, uh, I want to propose to you that Jesus is also put on the cross by the systemic sins of empire and religion. That these are the sins of the world that Jesus bore in his body when we look at the second narrative thread that goes through John chapter 18. So uh, a pastor and author who has been instrumental in my understanding of this concept is named Brian Zond. And one of the things that he wrote um, is this. Jesus was killed, not by God, but by the hands of wicked men. With great violence, the principalities and powers sinned the sin of the world into the sinless body of Jesus. When the sins of the world became the sinful singularity of Good Friday, the one who knew no sin was made to be sin. The body of Jesus hanging upon the cross was made to be the repository for the sin of the world. That's a different way of thinking about the gospel than I received in the tradition in which I was raised. And yet it's the one that I think speaks much more deeply to me. So today's message, as I said, is entitled Church and State. So let's talk about what that means. We're going to go in opposite order. I'm going to start with the state, and then I'll talk about the church with air quotes around it shortly. So when we talk about the sins of the state... You can boil it down to one simple statement, which is this. If Jesus is Lord, then Caesar is not. Who is Caesar? Caesar is the emperor in Rome. Um, You've heard the phrase, perhaps, render unto Caesar. So this this comes from an occasion when uh, Jesus was asked a question by a fellow Jew. And you have to remember that the Jewish people were under oppression. They were kind of... Uh, allowed to exist within the Roman Empire, but they were, um, they always imagined themselves overthrowing Rome and, and returning to freedom, um, you know, much like the, the days of old, if you will. And so uh, a Jewish person comes and asks this Jewish rabbi, do we good faithful Jews have to pay taxes to Rome? Right? I suspect this is probably a trick question because if Jesus says yes, then what that might mean is that we're funding everything that Rome does, which is evil and wrong. Ha ha, got you, Rabbi. By the way, I'm thankful. None of you ever come up and ask me trick questions. <laughs> Not to put myself on the level of Jesus in any way. Um, if, I could, if I could be like the trick question ninja, one-tenth of one percent of that Jesus is, I would, I would be really proud of myself. But nobody ever tries to trick me anyway. Um, don't start now, by the way. Uh, I'm grateful for that. But so Jesus says, what does he say? He's like, do you have a coin on you? Do you have a Roman coin? And the the person says, yes, here's the coin. And he says, whose image and whose inscription is on that coin? And the answer is Caesar's or the emperor's. And Jesus says then that famous phrase, well, then render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And so often we clip that as if that's the end of what he says, but it's not because he goes on to say, and render unto God what is God's. Now, do you understand what's happening there? What's happening there is that he asked two things about the coin, whose image and whose inscription is on it, right? And the image of Caesar is on a Roman coin, right? Like the the profile. Do I have a Roman enough nose for that? The image of Jesus is on, or excuse me, of Caesar is on the coin, and the inscription on the coin says what? Various things. Caesar is Lord. 
Prince of Peace, King of Kings. We know all of these phrases, phrases as referring to Jesus because that is what those subversive Christians did. They appropriated those Roman nationalistic patriotic expressions for Jesus, and that's why they got killed. Right? So when Jesus says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, he's talking about the money, the image. But when he says, render unto God what is God's, he's saying, do not call Caesar Lord of all. Rome is not the great hope of the universe, which is what it was believed to be by good Roman citizens everywhere. Does this sound at all familiar to you? Rome is the hope of the world. So saying that Jesus, no, in fact, was the last great hope of the world was a radical and dangerous thing for Christians to say, and yet that's what they said over and over and over and over and over again, and that's why they got killed. That's why they killed Jesus. That's why they killed Paul. That's why they killed Peter. That's why they banished John to the island of Patmos, which apparently had some magic mushrooms or something, because he, he then writes the book of Revelation, which is like, whoa. <laughs> okay, uh, that is that's a pretty wild vision. Um, So when I say that the state, the empire, the nation of Rome puts Jesus on the cross with its sins, and that, when, and that is a version of Jesus bearing our sins, what I mean is that he is bearing the sins that humanity can commit, which include nationalism, empire, subjugation of the people around you, world conquest, so that's the state part. But it's called church and state. What am I going to say about church? Well, first of all, we're going to use air quotes with church because there was no Christian church at this time yet. There was a religious establishment, which is going to stand in for the church in this popular phrase, church and state, which we've heard so many times in other contexts. And in the case of the Roman Empire, the religious establishment that existed alongside Rome, uh, at least in our little context from the New Testament, um, was Jewish, Right? It happened to be Jewish, but we must not allow ourselves to succumb to the temptation to place this great sin on one particular other group of people, right? And again, that's part of how Christians have participated in and perpetuated anti-Semitism, and we need to reject that. And in fact, what I want to say to you today is, is a warning that the reality is that our own religious group we who call ourselves Christians, is at risk of these same problems. And then you say, what problems are you talking about? Well, I could probably name a whole long list of problems of religious establishments throughout history, including the Christian religious establishment that happens to be present in our culture today. But I'll limit myself to these two. The first one is this. It's the problem of a religious establishment enforcing a narrow religious view, including a narrow religious interpretation of a religious text, and then using that to control people and to exert power. Jesus spoke out vehemently against this. He spoke out against what was basically the religious fundamentalism of his day. He told the enforcers of this narrow religious interpretation that they were placing burdens on others that they themselves were not willing to bear. And then he told them at another time that they were so hypocritical that they might as well be whitewashed tombs. Shiny and pretty and clean on the outside, dead and rotting on the inside. 
So that's the first problem of a religious establishment. That's the first problem that uh, comes up as a systemic sin when people gather around religion. The second one is the reason that the sermon is called church and state because the second problem is that these religious principalities and powers often end up colluding with the powers of the state to enforce their worldview, to increase their power, to stamp out people who see the world differently, who understand God differently, who interpret the scriptures differently. And if you read the story of Jesus' passion narrative, right, the, the time when he is arrested, tortured, put on trial, crucified, if you read the story carefully, and you'll see it in John 18 when I read it to you now, or shortly, you'll see it in the other Gospels as well. What you will observe when you start to look for it, and you will never be able to miss it again, is that church and state are colluding together to crucify Jesus. So what it means that the principalities and powers sinned the sins of the world into the body of Jesus, that's what it means. The church and the state in collusion with each other, systemic problems, organizations seeking power to subject other people to their rule and their worldview puts Jesus on the cross. And once again, don't you dare say this is a Jewish problem or a Roman era problem or a Muslim problem or look around the world and say those other people are doing that same thing that they tried to do to Jesus back then. What I want to say to you is that this is a Christian problem. And this is an America problem. Look around. Do you see what's happening in state legislatures, at the national level, anywhere anybody can do it? You are seeing people use Christian language to enact laws that oppress other people. You can see the enormous harm that this has caused. Right? I, could, I could name so many versions of this, but you know as well as I do that the people who are on the receiving end of this kind of subjugation tend to be already marginalized in our society in other ways. They tend to be trans people, LGBTQ people uh, more broadly, people of color, women, especially poor people, poor women. And those of us who sail through life um, not experiencing any of those particular marginalizations actually, are, we have some skin in the game in that we are invested in the system not changing too terribly much because that might take us down a peg as other people are brought into equality and justice. Which I think is why We, we are so often silent instead of speaking out about this when we see it. 
And now you know why I don't sing God Bless America at the baseball game. That's probably the most controversial thing I've said this morning. (laughs) Uh, That would get me fired at some churches, hopefully not at this one. Listen, I love God, I love baseball, I love America, I just don't like you combining them all that way. Especially since they started playing that game, or that song during baseball games, right after 9-11, when America was beginning its religious crusade against Muslim people. It just doesn't sit right with me. Now, please don't take that as like, oh, the pastor says I can't sing God Bless America. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying for me, Reading the text now the way that I do, which I will never be able to stop doing, I don't think, and I hope after today you won't be either. I am very uncomfortable with anything that links God and country with, when it seems to have the assumption that we are the best, that God loves us the most. All right. You plain reading of the text, people will say, that's not what God Bless America says. I know, I know. I'm talking about my own problem here. All right, I need to read you the gospel. All right, I'm basically at the end of what I wanted to say. And I hope that that provides for you some context to hear this story in a new light. This is from John 18. It's the two trials of Jesus. And it does jump around. So follow along on the screen if you'd like. Starts in verse 12. So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Now, here's the first instance of that phrase, the Jews. You keep in mind the disclaimer that I made a few minutes ago. We jump down to verse 19. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Verse 28 starts the civil trial. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. So when we say the creed and say that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, this is the Roman official, Pontius Pilate, who's about to be involved in this, in this moment. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Notice that's not an answer to the question. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. And also it was to help these religious people wash their hands of the crime that was about to be committed by having the state do it for them. 
Verse 33, then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. I would, like, the thing that I want to do most in the world right now is, is like, sit down and, and have a, a conversation with all of you to say, like, how does this sit with you? Did, did you hear that text any differently? That story, does it, does it land any differently with you than it, than it has in the past? We, unfortunately, don't have time to have that conversation, but it is my sincere hope that you would see something new in this story, that it's not just the story of Jesus being handed over to the authorities and sentenced to death. When we put Jesus on the cross in such an abstract manner, it, it, it not only doesn't convict us of our sins the way we think it does, but it actually absolves us of the ones that are the most difficult to repent of and, and, and ask forgiveness of. Right. It's actually quite easy for me to imagine something that I did that my youth pastor told me was a sin and to ask God's forgiveness for that. I believe that I need to do that and I believe that I, I receive it when I ask for it. It's much, 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 much harder to imagine myself as part of the uh, establishments that put Jesus on the cross, to imagine myself as complicit in the systems of the world, in the empire in our version of it, in the trials of the high priest, our version of it. When I start to think about that, that makes me want to slink away in shame. Because it's a lot harder to correct that type of sin too. So let me um, conclude with a prayer for us and then we'll take communion together. God, I pray that uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would read this story in a new way, that we would receive the conviction that is there for us to receive, that we would expand our understanding of our need for forgiveness to include our complicity in the systems, the principalities and the powers that Jesus bore the sins of on the cross. Give us not only the humility to see ourselves in this story in places we hadn't seen ourselves before, but also the wisdom and courage to make the right type of reparations and amends. May we be changed in our hearts and minds in the reading and hearing of your word. 
We ask your forgiveness and your mercy and that your grace would carry us through. We pray these things in the name of the crucified Christ. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.